Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One More Thing. My name is Norji, and thank you for joining me. This week, I sat down at the Racine Theater Guild and spoke with Jocelyn Fish, the marketing director, and Doug Instant as the managing artistic director. We had a great chat that included everything from the history of the Racine Theater Guild to social media, uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic's effect on their ability to do shows, as well as the outreach program, diversity in casting, and the volunteer base that makes up a lot of what the Racine Theater Guild does. Um, I unfortunately forgot to record a proper introduction, so this will serve as the introduction, and everything that follows will be the episode. I hope you enjoy. Here at the Racine Theater Guild, um, and full disclosure, I am uh, very involved here. I'm a volunteer, I'm a member, and I'm also on the board of directors, and I'm here today with my two guests, uh, Jocelyn Fish, who is the marketing director of the Racine Theatre Guild, and Doug Insanez, who is the managing artistic director of the Racine Theatre Guild. Thank you for joining me today on this episode. So uh, we're going to start with you, Doug, uh, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit of your history um, here at the Racine Theatre Guild. Yeah, I started oh, 29 years ago, something like that. Uh, as the Associate Artistic Director for Norm McPhee, and I did that for eight years before he stepped down, and so I have been here ever since. I went to school a long time ago, a lifetime ago, for hotel management because I used to work in a hotel where a lot of theater people stayed, and I said, well, I don't want to live like that. I want to get a regular <laughs> job, <laughs> and so I don't want to go from place to place, from city to city, so I went and got a hotel degree thinking that I'd open up a dinner theater, and then worked for Marriott for a couple of years, uh, decided that I would rather be happy than rich. So I went back and got a couple of master's degrees in theater and um, took me a long time to make the same type of money that I was making at Marriott. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you your hobby is your job, then you're, you don't work any, you know, you don't work a day in your life or something like that. I can't, I can't remember how that's supposed to go. But Socrates, I think. Yeah. That's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if someone came to you today and said, Here's the keys to your very own dinner theater. Would you, <laughs> would you still consider it? Uh, no, because the restaurant business is awful. <laughs> it's just an awful business, and you have to prepare, you know, two hundred meals at one time, and people don't like the food, and they want it back, and um, it, it's a it's a tough world out there. I, you know, the Chan Hassan uh, in Minneapolis was a theater I was very associated with, and the Marriott, um, not the Marriott. I'm sorry, the Fireside. Um, dinner theater, and um, they operate a separate restaurant. But you know, restaurants are a hard job, mm -hmm. and so I've I've long learned that I'll just stick with the theater part. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's a it's a god awful industry to work in. It's a thankless <laughs> job, the the service industry. Yeah. But uh, Jocelyn, who uh, 2016 is when you started? Uh, yes, November 2016. To Go be ahead, exact, So that works. Tell us about yourself and sort of your journey here to the theater guild, and <laughs> as you've been here. Uh, so, as Norgy said, I've been here since 2016. Um, prior to this, I went to Viterbo University in La Crosse, which if anyone's familiar with Viterbo, they're usually familiar with either me being a nurse, me being a teacher, <laughs> or, or me being in the theater, which I was none of those three, technically. Uh, my degree is very long and complicated. It's uh, organizational communication with a minor in English writing and business administration. 
So, um, good grief. <laughs> I know it's uh, quite the mouthful. I have an external emphasis too, if that matters. Um, but while I was at school, because when I was a kid, I got involved in children's theater in a very small town, 9,000 people I grew up in. So, you know, during the summer, the rec center had a theater group that you could go join. And I did that and I loved it. And I did theater in high school, but then I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I actually entered school and declared. Um, and found communications, which you can do so many things with. And I ended up working at the Fine Arts Center on campus as part of my work study. So then had a couple internships in education, in uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau. Then I worked as an AmeriCorps VISTA member for Habitat for Humanity for a year. And then right prior to this, I was actually events coordinator for the National Kidney Foundation of Wisconsin. So similar to what Doug was talking about of hobby becoming your job. I always did uh, ushering and volunteering at a couple theaters up in Milwaukee during that time. So decided to kind of dive into looking into the arts and found a very, very small clipping in the newspaper uh, and applied and a newspaper. What's Here that? I, am. I know. <laughs> well, virtual version of the newspaper. I should be honest. <laughs> so both of you have sort of had a similar trajectory to theater in that you both were involved in theater and now you sort of work behind the scenes. But I guess my question sort of um, that just popped in my head is what was the last show that you were actually in and would you ever be on stage again if given the opportunity? Oh man, what was the last show I was actually in? Oh, I, well, I worked um, Spotlight actually on uh, Nonsense 2 or Spelling Bee was the last show I worked behind the scenes on. The last show I was in would have been maybe The Man Who Came to Dinner. Maybe that's the last show I was actually in. I played the axe murderer. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so that was fun. That was in high school. I don't know if I would do it again. I just, there's a lot of very talented people around here and they very much enjoy being on stage and I actually very much enjoy being behind the scenes. I would, I would rather do that and promote the wonderful, wonderful things they're doing than do it myself. That's fair. <laughs> well, what about you, Doug? Um, I did Love Letters at the Theater Guild with Jane Matinere for a fundraiser at the Theater Guild, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And prior to that, um, one of uh, the actors was getting divorced and had to miss a performance of Oliver. So Norm asked me to go on as Bill Sykes, which is not a role. Uh, he's the killer, the tough guy. That is not a role I would normally be cast in. So, um, um, so my last two experiences on stage were at the Theater Guild a long, long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I can do the show, but I have to miss one performance because I'm getting divorced. <laughs> well, and, then, and there's more story to that because one of the judges actually volunteers at the Theater Guild and years later told me that, well, you should have just asked. I would have postponed it. <laughs> okay, well, good to know. Yeah, well, now, all these years later. Yeah. Um, so for many of the listeners who are probably um, – affiliated with the theater, whether they're, mm -hmm. they're involved behind the scenes or on stage or they're um, they season ticket holders, whatever the case may be, everyone sort of has 
an idea of the history of the theater guild and how it got started. So without belaboring the point, if we can um, just get like a, again, a brief overview of how the theater guild started and transitioning into this building and sort of taking us up to present day in a very <laughs> abridged snippet. cliff notes version <laughs> of that story. Um, so the theater guild was founded in 1938 by uh, 26 people with 50 cents each, so $13, uh, helped start the theater. And so for a while, we were actually a homeless theater troupe, as we like to say. Here in town, we performed at a lot of the old theaters that no longer exist in town, so in the community centers, the women's center, bebopped around town performing shows. And then in 19, I believe, 54, we started renting a building on the corner of High and Erie Street that was built as a church in the late 1800s and then was used as a pigeon racing club for a while um, as well, which is an odd fact. <laughs> um, and then we actually built, bought the building in uh, 1956. So it's still at the corner of High and Erie Street. You can drive past it. It's a church once again, and we were there for 20 years, performed in what I understand is a very, very tiny and challenging space, a very small stage. The light board and soundboard were not actually, you couldn't see the stage from mm -hmm. either of those places. Um, lots of uh, tales of how, how everything operated. And uh, speaking of the Pigeon Club, people talk about feathers falling from the ceiling every so often, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So then in the 70s... I hope that's still not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh, in the 70s, we were looking at growing because we had outgrown that space that was only about a 200-seat theater. So we're looking around town and um, had looked at the lakefront and we'd actually signed a contract to build on the lakefront. And then that got changed around because Case was supposed to build there. And we kept looking and came to Wustom Park here. And Wustom, um, the family, let, uh, gave the city of Racine this park uh, with the intention of expanding the arts in Racine. Sure. And so the museum was already here. And so we had to get the city's permission based off of um, this is all kind of the contract that we have with the city is based off of the Cleveland Playhouse um, in the park, I think is what it's called, where we actually lease the, the land from the city, but we own our own building. The city does not give us any money. Um, we operate all of our own expenses here in the building. They just operate the park around us. And so we broke ground here in 1975 and opened in uh, October 8th, 1976, I believe, was the first performance of Taming of the Shrew. And so we have been here since. And so we have a 400-seat thrust stage theater. It's about 44 feet from the middle of the stage to the very last seat in the audience. So very intimate, uh, really great space. And we've been here for 45 years now. Have we done Taming of the Shrew since, since the first time? No. Interesting. <laughs> um Okay. Or Kiss Me Kate. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> was that another show that was... Kiss Me Kate is about on. Taming of the Shrew, actually. Ah, it's music, a musical yeah. Music yeah. Yeah. version, yeah. And we've done neither of those shows. Since night... Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and Taming of the Shrew's been around for a very long time. <laughs> very long time. In our history, we have done, actually, in our 85 years, a, a, just over 500 shows in our 85-year history. So that's pretty pretty crazy so obviously you know with i guess the benefit of hindsight uh building your own theater in a <laughs> on property is great and not having to you know rent a church or 
you know, share it with a pigeon racing club or whatever it was. But um, here we are all these years later in this space. And obviously there might be some infrastructure issues that um, you might come to pass. So are there anything, is there anything about this building that looking back on when it was built originally, or even with any of the renovations that have been done over the years that we wish we could change, or if we had a, a blank checkbook, we would change this or change that. Is there any sort of part of the, the structure here that we wish could be different, or maybe perhaps that we're working on uh, in the future? I'll give that to you. <laughs> um, well, just to clarify, the um, we almost went bankrupt. Uh, in the 80s. When uh, we couldn't make our mortgage payments, mm-hmm. and uh, Jess Levin and Bank of Elmwood and a bunch of bankers got together and forgave a lot of our mortgage. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a little tough going there for a while, and um, things got a lot better after that. <laughs> when you have a crippling mortgage, uh, it got really tough for a while. But, the, um, you know, you think this building is huge and it's great, and then now it's full. And uh, <laughs> uh, I think the, the, the major things that we would have liked to add is a um, – one is more handicap accessibility, mm-hmm. elevators. You can't get to the, the green room or the dressing rooms. And, sure. and um, we're grandfathered into that, but there are major remodels mm-hmm. and structural problems to try to update the building. And, you know, so put in an elevator. Well, okay, that's like $100,000, you know, and uh, yeah. um, it, it, it would be difficult for us. So um, that would be nice to, to be able to have more accessibility. And I think we looked at... Um, we went up to um, Sunset Playhouse and looked at their secondary space. And we have actually drawings. Uh, Joe Vigneri uh, paid for an architect to come in and help us remodel and add a secondary space, which would be used as a meeting room. As on the board, you know, we're in the lobby, we're here, we're there. Sure. Um, classes are coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Sunset, having a secondary space, a smaller secondary black box space, allows you to have meetings and classes and more privacy, and and then you have less downtime because mm-hmm. uh, you do one show in one space while you're building in the next space. And the the thing with theater is, uh, it's just like the hotel business that every day you're closed, you lose potential money. And so that's why theaters like to perform every day except for one. And um, so if we had, you know, to answer your question, long and short of it, if we had a black box and a handicap accessibility, that would be wonderful and storage 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 yeah would it be safe to say that or assume that perhaps maybe even a bigger shop in the back Mm -hmm. or separate from the building maybe even in the same area but just maybe detached where they can just work and do all the stuff that they need to do sort of uninterrupted um because i know that there's a lot going on (laughs) because in terms of space and you're saying that it's being full you know, um, you do a giant production that you hope to do again a year later or whatever, and then you try to save the set pieces. That's got to go somewhere. And unfortunately, you can't just, you know... um, Hang it all from the ceiling. Yeah, pack that (laughs) in boxes. (laughs) Well, we have off-site storage, which we have to pay for. You know, we always run out of... The more things you save, the less money Mm -hmm. it costs to do. But one of the... You know, and as much as I can complain about my space and I need this bigger... I, I so enjoy watching new people come into mm-hmm. our space, and they go, oh, my God, look at this shop. And I go, yeah, well, you know, it's, we really need it to be bigger. <laughs> and, uh, well, oh, my, you know, we have to go outside, and we have to do this, and we have to rent that. And yeah. and some of these um, 
you know, you look at the Pabst and you look at some of these really elegant theaters, they have like 10 feet off stage and no shop and no bathrooms. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we complain we only have one bathroom in each dressing room. Well, some people don't have any. And so we are, we are extremely lucky, but yes, we could have, once you live in, in your home, you, um, (laughs) want to change things, right? You, you, you want to see if I could have this or if I could have that. But I so enjoy watching new people come into our mm-hmm. space and just be amazed. Uh, we had some people, uh, I had a rental this weekend, and they came into the dressing rooms and we turned on the lights and they thought that was the most magical thing that they've ever seen in their whole life. <laughs> Look, at, you see that in the movies and it's, yeah. you know, so, and so things that I take for granted are very exciting for people. And that's a good reminder for someone who's been here for such a mm-hmm. long time to try to see it through new people's eyes. And and they were really smart when they built this building because they, they did a lot of research as to what type of stage they wanted, number one. Um, for people that don't know what a thrust stage is, it's when you uh, the center of your stage goes out in kind of the middle of your audience. So people are on three-quarter sides of the stage. They're not all the way around, which is in the round theater, but you're kind of in the middle. Um, and so it's actually uh, kind of designed after the Guthrie in Minnesota. And um, so it's at a very professional lev- level that they did design it, which is wonderful too. And I think it adds, um, at least I would think to the the audience experience, a little bit more of a um, intimate setting mm-hmm. where you feel closer to what's happening on stage and you feel a little bit more immersed because y- you lose some of that with, with proscenium. Yeah. And the ability to play angles and have a little bit more depth, I think it just makes more dimensional things. And the sets can be a little bit more um, lush and a little bit more, um, you know, uh, involved. Mm-hmm. So um, it, I think it would be hard for me um, to go back to a, a proscenium stage. Um, anytime I've gone to a show somewhere else and I see a proscenium stage, I almost um, get weirded out because I'm like, where's the rest of it? Um, I, think, I think it's hard because... You- there's such a connection between the audience and the actor in our theater mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you're in a 2,000-seat house or a proscenium you're and you're 20 rows back, you know the actors can't see you. Sure. And you know that you could be sleeping or, you know, on your phone. and nobody, But in our space, everybody sees you. And mm-hmm. the actor will come off, who is that person in the third <laughs> row that, you know, is reading something or, you know, eating a sandwich or something like that? <laughs> and um, so you feel really... As an audience member, you have to be engaged, and mm-hmm. and the actors feed off that engagement very much. So, and so I think that's um, the beauty of you know, only having ten roles in our theater. That um, you know, your the audience and the and the actors are kind of this uh, weird correlation and, and living, uh, breathing organism. Yeah. yeah. So you you so. say ten rows, but then when you when you're looking out into the audience, it feels like there's 30 rows <laughs> looking back um, to the back of the theater. But, mm-hmm. and it probably has a lot to do with the encompassing of the of the thrust stage and mm-hmm. having audiences sort of almost all the way around you. So um, I would be remiss if we had this conversation about the history of the Theater Guild and I didn't bring up Norm McPhee. Um, I personally worked with him on one show um, early, early on in my sort of experience here at the Theater Guild. So, um, probably get more information from you, Doug, than we will from Jocelyn, but Mm -hmm. can we speak to um, just what this theater sort of um, uh, owes, for lack of a better term, to Norm McPhee and just how how he sort of brought us into the the forefront? Because you mentioned before that we were um, 
uh, on the brink of bankruptcy, and I'm I'm not sure that's anyone's fault specifically. There was a lot of especially in 1980s, yeah, in um, Racine. There was a lot of um, economic collapsing in the 80s. So um, just maybe your experiences with Norm and 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 sort of how uh, your relationship came about. Well, I I think you know figuratively and realistically, he built the building, Mm -hmm. and um, you know had to fight for that, and that's not an easy task. You know, he came from California, and they hired him to kind of be a one-man band uh, when we were at the High Street Theater. Yeah, in and, 1969, I think. And just to, to, you had to do it all. You had to do the box office. You had to do, uh, you know, press releases and build the sets. And they, you know, he was married at the time to a set designer, so that, you know, you get free labor when <laughs> that, it comes to that. That helps. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to that. But, you know, uh, it was a lot of work, and he made a lot of sacrifices, and... Um, in his personal life uh, as he built the theater, and that was his baby, and um, took strong ownership in that. And because of of that, I'm going to be here 24-7, seven days a week attitude, he was able to grow and and thrive and then add one employee, you know, a half-time employee here and a half-time employee there and then a full-time employee and another full-time employee. So it it grew under his his care and... um, the attitude of this is my house, um, you know, he, he was very strong in the sense that uh, we will survive. <laughs> and we were going to fight through this and um, no, that's not good enough. And uh, you're not going home. We're going to do it again. And, you know, and in, in all honesty, he lived in a different time period where you could um, demand that type of um, time commitment from mm-hmm. volunteers. Uh you know, you know, many people only had a sing, single person working and the other person was at home and uh, you could take that much time. Now our society has changed so mm-hmm. dramatically that people's time is very valuable and you have to be careful. We used to run for four weekends and he'd call everybody every day. And um, But in doing so, he, he, he talked to what I referred to as old school people around here, the people that came with the building. You know, the standard is high, and he set a high standard, mm-hmm. and you lived up to that standard, or he and others would um, <laughs> remind you of that. Yes, and, would. And that's not a bad thing, and people felt – it's like a, uh, you know, a, a really hard football coach, right? He, he makes you do all these things, and, and then you win, and you feel really good. You worked really, really hard, and you won. And I think that's what Norm – that's the standard that Norm set, and, um, you know, as a role model to me – uh, I looked at what he did to be successful, and he was here a lot, and he did a lot, and um, um, how he treated people and, and what he expected from people. And, um, you know, when I, I took over for him, I stole his shoes out of his office, and I, I, I've kept, I, I have them in a box at home to remind myself I have big shoes to fill. And uh, I like that. And when I, we talked to, at his go, going away party, it was like, you know, Norm, I look at these shoes and and uh, I will try to fill them the best I can. That's actually a really cool fitting <laughs> tribute. Um, and to your point about sort of uh, old school, almost football coach, he does sort of have a Vince Lombardi esque <laughs> aura around him, just very, you know, hard nosed. And I don't mean that in a negative way. He just demanded a lot from his people, not because he was um, difficult or because that's the way that he was, but because he wanted 
to elevate a production to the highest level he possibly could. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that meant, you know, long nights or lots of rehearsals or lots of notes. But, you know, he tried to get, he tried to, you know, what's the saying about uh, squeezing every ounce of blood from a rock? He, he really <laughs> tried to, he tried to unearth every single bit that he could from everyone. And I think, you know, it, it certainly speaks to the old school way of, um, of theater, but, um, you know, it's better to care too much than not at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll just share one story, and the person will know what this is about. But uh, Norm uh, went down at intermission to, to give notes to an actor uh, about the first act. And the actor said, Norm, this is our last performance. We're not going to be doing act one again. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, never mind then. And uh, so, But even in his own mind, in the last performance, he's going to give notes on act one. And... Uh, um, <laughs> You know, an actor could have been uh, offended by that, but now it's just a great story. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks it's, oh, well, that's just Norm, you know. <laughs> going to give you notes even if you're not even going to do the the show, show again. again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who can uh, sort of latch onto that as an experience. <laughs> so moving from the old school mm-hmm. uh, into the new school, and, and I would – I think it's safe to say, Jocelyn, that you've been responsible for a lot of the shift here in terms of technology and trying to get Attempting, us, uh, yes. <laughs> trying to get us a bigger footprint in um, in the digital age mm-hmm. by um, social media and websites and everything else. So I guess my question to you and eventually to Doug is: How has technology played a role in your position? And what have been the difficulties with implementing those changes and integration? Um, so when I came on board here at the theater, uh, the position was relatively new. Um, there had been someone in the role previous to me, and um, I was able to come in and kind of have a restart on it. Um and look at what had been done and, and what needed to be di- done. Um, I personally am a, uh, have never had a social media class. You know, I know that's a thing that they actually get in college these days. But because it's something that uh, constantly changes, just staying on top of the trends and what's new. And, you know, we the day I started, we got an Instagram account, for instance, here at the theater. <laughs> um, so that's, you know... The great thing is, Doug and I were just talking about this today, actually, is um, our product sells itself, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the moment you come in the door and you see a show, uh, you're sold. It's getting you here and getting you coming back time and time again, whether you think you're just a play person. Oh, but we also have musicals. Or if you think you're just a comedy person, oh, we also have dramas. Or if you've got grandkids, oh, we also have a children's theater program. Right. You know, it's that constant um, set of communication uh, in a world where we're inundated with communication. How do you break that barrier um, and make it fun, too? I think that's one thing I try to do a lot of. A lot of... um, theaters that I have found are very factual in their marketing, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, we're doing a show right now called drop dead. I can have all the fun I want with uh, puns about, uh, you know, (laughs) disastrous things happening on stage. I know that when I did, when we did um, native gardens that Norgie here was in, uh, did a lot of gardening idioms and things like that, you know? Um, So it's been a learning curve for myself as well. Um, I am not as familiar as with video content. That's something I've had to dive into a bit more, teach myself how to 
uh, edit videos. The great thing is your cell phones can do a lot these days. Sure. Um, but the the biggest challenge overall is uh, I am the one creating that content, and I'm the one that has to um, turn things around and edit it and um, do it in a timely fashion. Uh, and then there's people that don't get their you know information from online; they get it still from the newspaper and 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 that side of things. So also managing that too. So it's it's just a constant juggling act that you try to stay on top of and you know there's always new things coming out so like tiktok is obviously a huge thing right now and i have not dive, uh taken the dive into that because i just know i don't know if i can add it to my plate of other things that i need to do even though it's a new audience that it would get us as well so it's a big what's tiktok <laughs> <laughs> that's how that, i feel is some that, days is that too. a game <laughs> like tic-tac-toe or something like right, that right right that the sound a clock makes right <laughs> Um, and I'm, I guess I'm in the same boat as Doug. I, not that I don't know what TikTok right. is, and I know that Doug knows what TikTok <laughs> is, but I don't have a TikTok. Right. And I think that sort of lends itself to part of this conversation because TikTok is um, a social media platform where people upload short form videos. Mm -hmm. um, so for the people who have short attention spans, um, it's perfect for them because you, you loop them in very quickly and then they're out just as quickly and they're mm -hmm. on to the next video. So I know that there's like an addiction with a lot of, uh, especially kids and the younger generation with TikTok. So how do we compete with, um, I don't want to say with social media, but with this generation that seems to have a much shorter attention span and and um, almost they need the instant gratification. Is Is theater in itself a medium that is essentially lost on the younger generation or is it that we need to change the format in a sense that sort of brings them in more to give them more of that kind of instant gratification i don't know if that's the right way to phrase the question <laughs> but i guess um uh it it uh it certainly warrants talking about it's interesting because there are a couple of um Musical specifically, because TikTok is music-based, a uh, couple of musicals that really grew throughout the pandemic because of TikTok and now have a huge following because of TikTok. And there are kids that are seeing theater for the first time because of exposure to it on that app. Um, Six the Musical, for instance, and is is probably the biggest one out there. Um, so, you know, it, it it's an odd world, uh, especially with, again, the... Uh, the last two years, um, not only for us as adults, but for kids who were in school, um, but had to do school at home, they missed the socialization that I think theater gives. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about that. It's not just, tick I mean, there's always been something to blame. The radio has taken away from theater followers. The, the movies have taken away from theater followers. Sure. TV has taken away from theater followers. I, I think that there are people that will always want an experience together in an audience on stage, backstage, um, creating something that's unique. Every show is unique, even if you practice it. There's always something that's going to be a little different. Amen there's, to that. Uh, there's, <laughs> you know, um, there is something to be said though about, um, you know, 
people want that selfie moment right now too. That is a big thing. And uh, theater is a copyrighted material. So it's not like in the middle of the show, they can turn around and take a, you know, selfie with the cast and crew on stage. So I sure hasn't stopped them from trying. <laughs> no, <though>. That's true. <laughs> um, so it'll, it will be very interesting as, as this uh, younger generation does shift into our main um, volunteer pool, potentially number one. And then also, on the audience side as well. Um, I think we've started to see a tiny bit of that uh, in purchase changes. Uh, you know, like our season tickets might not be as high as they've been in the past, but our at-the-door sales or last-minute sales are actually way higher than they've been, um, where people aren't um, pre-planning and have a shorter span of where they're gathering the information for the upcoming weekend or what have you. Do you think that's impulse? You know, like when they, when you go to the the grocery store, the gas station, and they've got all these candy bars and these brightly colored <laughs> things right there by the cash register. Do you think people are driving by and saying, "Oh, they're doing, you know, Mamma Mia"? Mm. Let's, hey, we're not doing anything. Let's stop there and see it. Or do you think there's it's just a matter of, you know, well, it's playing this weekend. I'd probably go there and get tickets at the door. Both. I think it's a both thing. I, I think it's a again, not to blame it all on the pandemic but it's a post-pandemic thing as well for sure uh, we got used we got um used to not planning things and not knowing what the situation was going to be with covid you know for two years we were a lot of us were very careful about where we were going and what we were doing um we personally here at the theater and a lot of theaters and live events have experienced having to cancel shows as well so i think a lot of people are a little leery about putting money up front and then having it canceled um you know so there, there's a lot of things that tie into that i think and and i don't even know if this is worth asking but i'll ask anyway doug <laughs> technology and theater thoughts well you know we've had these conversations since the beginning of time it's just now that i'm a different generation you know when uh each generation has their plays and their things that are cool and the older generation says, ah, I can't understand the words. Oh, this is bad, you know. And um, uh, so I, I think these conversations have never changed. And uh, <laughs> you, you think that, okay, well, we're getting ahead, we're getting better. No, it's just a different generation. It's always been old people that go to the theater and they bring young people to the theater and then they become the old people and then the young people. And it just, you know, like Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar, oh, those were well, we're going to picket those, you know, and we're going to do that. And then another generation has rent. And, oh, my goodness, that's that's awful. And now it's Hamilton and other things and, you know, <laughs> Spring Awakening. And, you know, it, it's exciting because, you know, things change. And then we go back to the old school stuff. And, and, and then it's all of a sudden classic. And, uh, <laughs> oh, let's do some classics. Oh, for God's sakes. You know, it's just, it, <laughs> you know, uh, when did all the – you know, classic used to be boring, and now it's classic. And uh, now so it's trendy again. Now it's trendy again, and you know, let's do Big something with the '60s. And uh, okay, well, we got away from that. We want to be now. We want to be happening. We want to be hip. So it's very frustrating to try to figure that out. I think the, um, I think technology is uh, unfortunately, and as I was looking at a lot of research for Little Mermaid that's coming up. The young people and older people now we're we're used to movies. Um, and the technology in movies is phenomenal. And a lot of that has now translated into tech for theater. You go to um, uh, Anastasia and you see floating mm -hmm. objects. Um, what's the... The dancing ghosts and Mean Girls where they're yeah. using um, 
Is it Mean Girls that they yeah, have all the these projection, projection screens? Set. Yeah. And um, and so they can just change a set by pushing a button, and it's three dimensional, and all these lasers it's and cool. all these LEDs. It is cool. It's it's phenomenally cool. Uh, you know, when Little Mermaid was on Broadway, they have projections, mm -hmm. they have flying, they have uh, hydraulics things coming in and out, and we look at that and go, "Wow, that is just." Um, technology but that doesn't translate down to high schools and community theater right. and um, unfortunately we get away from just telling a good story and mm. you know one of the things that I so loved about Hamilton was they had two turntables okay and some props and they told an amazing story mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think sometimes technology is great and it's cool but it also gets in the way of the of, basics of yep. telling a story. Yep. And, you know, we were taught in theater, it's uh, an actor telling a story to an audience. That is theater. And you have to have all three to, um, to do theater. It doesn't say anything about flashing lights, <laughs> and it doesn't say anything about uh, hydraulics. And the Greeks it, were able to do it for <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> but, but the expectations are different. And so uh, we talk about that a lot when we do our children's you know, when we do the packy plays, they're they're low budget and they're six dollars. And then when you do something that costs twenty dollars, you got to have more. You have, and when you're paying a hundred dollars, you better have a whole <laughs> lot more sure. going on. But it also restricts these theaters who can do it. Uh, right. Spider Man. Okay, well that sounds phenomenal. Nobody can do Spider Man. You yeah. can't afford to do Spider Man. Yeah, even the people who. Did Spider-Man. Couldn't afford Spider-Man. Spider right. Did not work so, well. <laughs> so we try to incorporate the, the technology as much as we can. And, you know, I bought a couple cool lights, too. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to have the I want to have the toys. Um, and so you have to kind of weigh that back and forth. Um, the, the whole idea is to support the actor, to, mm -hmm. to help the actor, to tell the story, not, not um, overshadow the actor. Right. But to your point, you know, this is a community theater. This isn't a corporate-sponsored place, right. and this is a nonprofit. So, you know, a, a, a place on Broadway that has, you know, millions of dollars or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to pour into a show, that mm -hmm. they can do that stuff, great, um, and, and more power to them. But we have to scale it down significantly right. here without sacrificing the quality of what the show, mm -hmm. the show right. actually is. And, and we have a thrust stage. Right. And I think a lot of these... You know, when you talk about projections and when you talk about flying people, uh, people don't consider a thrust stage into no. that equation at all. You can't hide, you know, a lot of those fancy special effects things and, as easily. And to be honest, too, the, the size of the house financially mm -hmm. makes a big difference. That if you're too. in a 2,000-seat theater, you can do one performance and, and cover costs. You know, I have to do five performances mm -hmm. to get a thousand people in my, you know, and so it's it's a different uh, financial. Um, yeah, when recovery. on when on the low end, you're talking a hundred dollars just for a ticket, um, and it's not necessarily a close seat or anything no. like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're right, uh, two yeah. two thousand seats times a hundred dollars, yep. um, and that's just. I mean, obviously, it's not they're not all a hundred dollars, but right. you can do the math. Um, and I think also from a technical standpoint. Um, doing a lot of sound design here myself, um, it's wonderful that we don't have to pull out cassette tapes yeah. and CDs <laughs> and records. Reel to reel. Or, um, yeah. or have someone backstage slapping two, uh, two by fours together <laughs> to get a gunshot. You yeah, know, those, right. are, those are great things. But I think overall technology, um, you know, when you go to see a professional show on Broadway or in Chicago or Milwaukee, 
yeah, they've got the money and the infrastructure to do so, but, you know, the high schools and the, you know, the community theaters, Mm -hmm. it's not really feasible. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And so while we're in the subject of technology and social media, the RTG website has um, approved appreciably um, (laughs) over the the last few years. Um, It recently went through uh, an overhaul, what was it, uh, four or five years ago? They, we just redid it right before i started so it's um it's actually old <laughs> at this point now well compared to what it was before compared to you what it started. was yes yes so it's uh it's our current website um got a nice upgrade about seven years ago we obviously also you know a lot of people they hear community theater and they um think it's a mon pa operation sometimes i think but no we have a website we have you can buy your tickets online you can get all the info about you know where our seating is and the prices of things and you know it's all right there for you so but we are you know also a thing that you have to constantly keep up to date so actually having a meeting with our website people in a couple weeks (laughs) i I think there are some things you know talking about technology with that 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 makes it um even for old people it's great because before you used to just have to have an answering machine (laughs) and have everything you needed to know on the answering machine here you you can talk about what plays are coming mm-hmm. up and, and volunteers you can um, and prices and Auditions ask questions and, and, and leave yeah. a, you know, to contact the right person and uh, want to know more about the information. So in that sense, the, the technology has, um, Increased has been great our fo- yeah. and um, really allows people to find out more about you and um, than having to, you know, it's so funny because I'll talk to my family about we're going to go somewhere. Well, my thing is to call them, right? Uh, well, just call and find out what they're open. Well, no, I'll just go online. And um, well, what are the ticket prices? I'll, I'll call and find out if they have any seats. No, we'll just go online and and do it. And um, and that's great because the box office is closed at that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think technology in that sense has, has been really good and really helpful. And, and um, we've seen a big shift. Our our largest um, ticket pool purchasing is actually online for the most part and at via mobile devices. So that's really kind of fascinating. And, you know, we were all the three of us alive in a time where if you wanted to go see a movie and you wanted to know what times the movies were playing and you didn't have a newspaper, you called a number mm-hmm. and waited till they got to the movie, the answering service got to the movie that you wanted to see and you'd sit there and write down <laughs> every single time that the mm-hmm. movie was playing um, to find out what time you could go see the movie and if, you know, if that movie was even playing in the theater at all. So And they didn't tell you if they were full. No, they didn't because yeah. you couldn't go online. And and that's, you know, much like a movie theater with the the Racine Theater Guild website, mm-hmm. you can buy tickets and you can see what tickets are available, available. what seats what are available. Seats. You're buying mm-hmm. your you're essentially picking your seat as opposed to showing up and sitting wherever it is that is left over. You get to pick your seats ahead of time. And that's yeah. a really Besides wonderful thing. Besides the children's thing. theater, of course. But. Well, sure. And to be honest with you, uh, sometimes I hate that a little bit because <laughs> people will call and they play dumb. Do you have any seats for today? Oh, yeah, we have seats. Um, how many did you? Two. Okay, well, I've got, well, I was looking online and you have some down in row A. <laughs> okay, well, you just asked me if, if, if I had any seats. You played dumb and now, uh, and now I got to argue with you because you think these are better seats. Well, I know you're not going to be able to see upstage left. So let me tell you where the best seats are. Well, but do you have them here? I see on your webpage that you've got them here. Okay, but someone is going to be standing behind you and you're going to have to turn around. Oh, okay. Well, then 
finally after 20 minutes, well, you do what you think best. Well, that's what I wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> Give so, you the best opportunity. So the, the technology is great and the information is great. Um, and some, but sometimes when you have to argue with people mm -hmm. when they think they have the knowledge. I'm also, it's nice that whenever you call here to speak to someone in the box office, they know everything there is to know about the house and where the seats right. are and like, hey, these are the best seats we have available. Yeah. And, you know, oh, but, you know, if you've got five people, we have some good seats, but um, the show the next day actually has more availability mm -hmm. right. and better seats. Right. So, you know, it's right. really nice that while you can sort of buy into the technology of going on the website and buying your tickets digitally, you can still call the box office here and speak to a live person mm -hmm. who will help you uh, in the direction that you need to go in. Um, so, you know, I think me personally being sort of a student of technology and, and everything else, um, I think the website is nice. Is it due for an overgrade? Sure. But, or an upgrade? Yeah, sure. But like... Still functions. Right. It does is its it, job. <laughs> is it a dilapidated, hasn't been touched in 15 years website? No. And it's 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 leaps and bounds better mm -hmm. than what it used to be mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And yep. it's more interactive and, and it has more information. It's great to up, be able to update and things. So for instance, right now, uh, I'm adding the Jeans Jazz productions that sure. will be coming up. And so and then I'll be able to hit a publish button and it will be on there next week. It's great. I think the key for especially us older people is um, simple and fast. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's too complex and there's too much information and too much, I don't need to know all of this. I just want to know what the shows are. And, uh, you know, and then I want to be able to click on the show and I want to buy a ticket. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to have to go through 20 screens and then I have to wait. And because I, you know, talk about patience, it's I'm waiting for your, everything to load takes forever. And so. <laughs> Um, you know, and we're finding that, yeah. that certain devices work better on our, our web page than other devices. Right. And, and we're still able to, because we have so much control of it, keep our service fees low. Because sure. that's a of what you run into with a lot of these ticketing um, websites is that the service fee is almost yeah. as much as your ticket is. Sure. Yeah. And don't you just hate that? So you, you buy a, a $20 ticket and then there's a $3 handling fee and a $4 uh, preservation fee, fee and a one-time uh, city tax fee. And all of a sudden it's twice as much as the ticket. And, yeah. and we just hate that. Yeah. And we want people to be able to afford a night out at the theater, hire a babysitter, go out to dinner. You know, it it it's all a package deal coming to the theater. And, and I think that's a very important point that even with especially right now, the way that inflation is and prices are going up compared to a lot of professional theaters and even some community mm -hmm. theaters, the, the ticket price here is very, very fair, especially considering that we produce professional quality theater in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that the ticket prices are pretty much holding steady yep. um, is, is a testament to how much um, the Theater Guild cares about the people who come to see the productions here. So um, mm -hmm. while we're talking about technology and the ease of use that Doug was talking about, is there any chance that perhaps an app will be developed for the Theater Guild that would give people access not only to, you know, um, historical photos or site content, but mm -hmm. the ability to buy tickets and that kind of stuff? I mean, potentially some, uh, you know, currently with our, website the way it is and our um, ticketing software are two separate platforms maybe someday down the line they might marry and that would make sense that something like that could come together um but probably not within the next like two to three years i would think 
but it is, maybe. But it is Potential. in the conversation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Um, one thing that I think I would love to talk about, not because it's a great topic, but because it's it's sort of at the heart of a lot of what's been happening here um, in the last season and a half, is COVID. Mm-hmm. And just sort of how it um, broadsided, um, you know, humanity altogether, but especially theater and the fact that this place sort of lives and dies on its volunteer base. So I'm going to sort of open this floor to both of you about just how COVID um, affected this theater and the volunteers and um, the difficulties that have presented themselves both when COVID started mm-hmm. and here we are in present day. So um, either one of you want to speak on this journey of COVID, please do so. So right before uh, <laughs> the world the world shut down, um, we actually had a production of the Children's Theater uh, and a comedy show the weekend that everything was closing. I think the Wednesday before is when the NBA had canceled things, and then the Friday before was when uh, Governor Evers had shut down the schools the following Monday. And so we had, a, I think, an emergency call with the executive committee and decided to go forward with the performances that weekend, even though there were a lot of theaters in the area that were canceling shows because we just didn't, no one knew. No one had the right answer of what to do in that moment. Well, there was also a lot of sunny optimism about, oh, hey, yeah. if we if oh, we things just, will get better right. and there's only six cases in the entire country right. and, you know, just don't panic. And right. so I think, yeah. Yeah. So we moved forward with that weekend. Uh, and then um, Tuesday was actually our, the following Tuesday was our regularly scheduled board meeting. And we had a discussion about what to do and it was to postpone um but not cancel any performances uh from march 18th onwards so that was march 18th 2020 that we announced that to the public um we had we're supposed to open a keel and the bee uh in a week and a half from that point and then we were in rehearsal for mama mia that was supposed to open in may and so we told both cast and crews that they were postponed uh, and we would hopefully do them later in a couple months. Did that happen? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, one of the great things about the theater and especially the board here is that um, they trust Doug, especially to lead the organization in a very uh, st- straightforward way to put us on the right path. But the the biggest difficulty at that time yet again is there were no answers to anything and so um there was a committee that was actually formed to help us make those decisions of how to move forward we have a covid task force committee that still meets every so often um it's got a lawyer a couple a lawyer on it a judge a police officer a nurse a scientist and uh then our executive committee and myself and doug and um, a scientist really a scientific researcher, oh, didn't whatever know that. whatever Ian's title is. <laughs> oh, okay, yes, 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 okay. Um, Somebody with a master's degree and <laughs> something with a BS on it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've uh, from that point on, we were meeting periodically. We thought we were going to open in July. We thought we were going to open in December. We thought we were going to open the following April. Um, it just kept getting pushed back. We did have to cancel the the season eventually um i can't even remember where that was on the timeline that we decided to do that 
Um, it's just a big blur by is, this point. It was. Um, I personally um, got to dive into, because there were no shows to market, um, but a lot of fundraising to do. My job switched quite a bit. I became, on the development side of my job, I was writing um, grants for uh, emergency funding from the government, from um, state level and federal level, and then also a couple of programs like the PPP for program, for instance, um, and then did on the marketing side more of a d deep dive into the history, which was really kind of cool, actually, to be able to do things like that. Uh, uh, what else? Oh, yeah. We did do um, online classes. We tried to do some online classes, uh, get kids involved, collaborated with Sunset Playhouse on some of those. And then we did... Doug was it successful? Actually, yes. Um, the, it, managing children on technology, I think, was <laughs> a lot at times, especially because at that point, a lot of the kids were still in school on technology. And then you had to switch your brain to theater via online, which it's very hard to produce um, and get that experience for kids of meeting friends and learning something new. It's like playing football online. Yeah. It's just something you can't do. Yeah. Right. Really. It's not the same. Yeah. No, no they, they, they tried and they put on some very nice little shows that we were able to stream then online. And then we ourselves ended up producing a Christmas version of our signature spotlight concert virtually. Um, our volunteer photographer, Michael Steinbach, became our volunteer videographer. <laughs> and we brought people in individually with their masks on, um, with Greg Berg playing the piano. And once uh, they were ready to sing, their mask came off. Everyone behind the scenes had their masks on. And at the same time, we then also produced a packy play virtually. Um, and that probably brought us up to, I'm at 2021, if you want to take over from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've forgotten what the question was, but uh, I think the question was about COVID. Yeah, and, uh, and and before we sort of hop into 2021, because I think, you know, and this certainly is not a knock on you, Jocelyn, because right. I, I don't mean it that way, but for you, Doug, who who have been here for, at this point, 25 years? Almost the, 30. Yeah, almost at 30. the point where we shut down. So, yeah, almost 30 years. Mm. And producing shows and producing um, musicals and producing children's theater shows and having children's theater classes and having staff here and having volunteers here regularly in and out every single day and having sets built. And then it stops. Cold turkey. I mean, uh, you know, lay aside the fact that we, you know, there was a fluid and, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to put everything on ice until, you know, we figure out what's going on and see what the CDC says and see what the mayor says and the city council and all that stuff and playing it safe. But for all intents and purposes, it stopped cold. And so I guess my question to you, Doug, is how does that, how did that have an effect on you both as the, the ipso facto leader of the theater guild, but also um, personally to have that just completely stop cold? Well, as I told the volunteers a, a while back, is you don't really appreciate something until it's taken away from you. And, and you complain about this, and you can complain about this, and then when it's taken away from you, you go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I want that back. I didn't realize how much I missed that. It was like when I went to work um, for Marriott, when I, I gave up theater and I went into the real world. I, I missed it, and I wanted to go back. And uh, COVID wasn't letting us go back and it wasn't telling us when we could come back. And um, everybody at the Theater Guild 
uh, well, except for the three of us that get paid, um, <laughs> are here because they love it and they want to do it. And it's, it's important to them and it's important to see their theater family. And they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And the thing I hate the most is to tell people no and, or I don't know. Um, and theater people, we have always, we, we have been, you know, talk about Norm old school, uh, even more so with Norm. But the show must go on. You could, uh, we've had people go on with uh, torn ligaments in their leg, uh, flu, people that have um, just had heart attacks and were getting out of the hospital to do the show, people that had mental breakdowns that needed to take a weekend pass so they could, the show goes on. And, you know, we just put buckets off stage left and off stage right, and then you go throw up and you get back out on stage. <laughs> That's the way we are raised. And it's a mortal sin to not have that mentality. And now we can't. And uh, we, were shut, we, were, we were shut down for a while where we couldn't perform. And then we, were, we could perform, but they had uh, mask mandates mm-hmm. and things like that. And the board thought, well, that's not theater. Seeing everybody in a mask and, um, you know, keeping six feet apart, you can't touch each other. How do you sing? How do you do all those things? And my wife, who teaches at Carthage, um, they were able to perform in those circumstances because they're training actors. That's their job. Mm -hmm. And you can still train an actor with a mask on their face. Well, when you've been trained to, the show must go on, and then you're told you can't. And then I think the real frustrating part was trying to, trying to get permission. Um, Mm -hmm. I I made these long documents with the committee. We sat down and we talked about how could we open. Uh, The rep had procedures. The um, equity uh, came up with procedures. How do you open safely and do theater? So everybody's got these things. So we write them up. And I don't know who to send them to. I would send them to the health department. They said, well, no, the mayor's got to decide or the the aldermen. Well, they say somebody else has to decide. (laughs) And nobody nobody was answering my my request, and uh, they just kept saying no. And I said, well, why? We can do this safely. We can do this. We can, you know. And then finally, uh, somewhere down the line, we got permission that we could open with certain uh, regulations. And those regulations are hard. Mm-hmm. Um, theater people are touchy, huggy, kissy um, family. And uh, it's like being at home and trying to separate yourself from your kids and your, your brothers and your sisters. Sure. It's it's impossible and constantly you know sit over there six feet distance you know setting up tables downstairs yeah, where you're that was not fun. <laughs> it's not because you're telling your family mm-hmm. and your and people that um love each other to not <laughs> and so it's been a struggle and it's still a struggle because um before we opened the, the last show five people went down with COVID, and um uh, and i think unfortunately we're getting to a place where People are going to lie. They're not going to tell you um, I'm not feeling sick because they know the show is going to be canceled and, and they're not programmed that way. Because I got sick, we have to cancel the show. So it's it's an ongoing struggle to mm-hmm. try to figure out how we navigate through COVID and how the show must go on and we're trying to do understudies and we're trying to be safe. But at some point, we're just going to have to do it. Yeah. Accept it. Yeah. 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 And, and I think overall, the thing that I know we wrote on paper and Doug and I talked about a lot is we, we couldn't get over people's um, just outpouring of support for this place. You know, we went almost two years without producing a show on stage and yet we are, we made a profit. (laughs) We are standing (laughs) on really good foundation. Um, 
not only, you know, with financial donations from people, but the community outreach we were still able to do throughout the pandemic. I mean, we were able, able we did produce uh, a multimedia play, uh, the Laramie Project, yes. somehow or another, you know, we were able to create that and bring uh, the community together through that production. And then, you know, it, how much people said they missed it. And they, they, they missed being in the audience. They missed, like Doug talked about, seeing their friends. Um, and, and, you know, thank goodness we've been around for 85 years because people know and, and love this place so much that they knew that they could invest in us and we'd be here for them when the time came. I think that's the, the, the most positive thing that came out of COVID was the clear love and support from the actors, the technicians, the community, the board, the business people. When we needed them, they were there. They stood up. We didn't have to ask. People just sent us money. So <laughs> people got, you know, their stimulus check. Mm-hmm. They just would send it over to the theater guild. I don't need it. You do. Um, you, you, I, I joked around. I said, this is a great business model. We, we, schedule, <laughs> we schedule performances. We cancel them. And we keep the money. And uh, it's a, you know, we made money. We, we, we made a, a profit being mm-hmm. shut down because people um, – I've been at the theater guild for 30 years. They, right. I got tickets with my wife when we first got married, and now we're bringing our grandchildren. And everybody's got a story to tell, and they just were so generous. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, it, when when crisis happens, every the people step up. Yep. And uh, I think that's um, what was so rewarding about learning that. Because people, they'll come and complain about a play, and, oh, they'll complain about this, or they'll complain about that. But when stuff goes bad, bam, they're there for you. Right. Well, and how quickly did you finally get through the list of people you had to call? You know, you had all these performances scheduled. You had tickets that were sold, mm-hmm. especially for Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia had a lot of tickets mm-hmm. sold um, even before rehearsals began. And then now you got to think, well, I gotta, we got to refund all these people. So you're calling people, and as you're get, going through this list, these people are saying, keep, you keep, keep the money. The money. Yeah. Keep yeah. the money. Um, or, or you got to this. Little old lady who I'm supposed to, you know, it's like a, a $12 ticket. And she goes, well, you know what? I'll split it with you. Just send me $6 back. <laughs> well, you know, that is just, well, it's $6. You go, well, what's the big deal? It's just the thought. It's just I want to help out, you know, right. and and being sweet. And, and you get, you got so many of those $6 donations back. And, right. um, and, and we got a lot of $1,000 donations. And. Uh, $500 donations. Mm-hmm. And so it's just everybody wanting to help out and to say that um, I did my part. Because everyone's a piece of the puzzle. You know, a lot of people think that the $6 isn't going to make a huge difference. But most of our donations in reality are anywhere from 25 to to $100. That is most of our donations across the board from people because they understand that, you know, that small bit is part of the larger picture of the theater and about keeping the roof on the theater and keeping right. the lights on. And, yeah. and I got to believe that that, you know, especially for the staff who were here, you, Doug, and you, Jocelyn, mm-hmm. and, and Terry, and anyone else who was here, to help sustain your morale. Because here you are thinking, we and you know, you guys did recorded videos and did interviews and said, you know, we, we have to do what is best for the theater. And right now that means that we can't let people hear. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that's very sad as someone who's really involved here for anyone who's really involved here or people who you know my wife and i met here 40 years ago we've been season ticket holders um that's got to be really really hard and then now you've got this outpouring of support both financially and and you know i'm sure you guys got emails and and voicemails and (laughs) stuff like that about um just how much they they miss coming here i Mm -hmm. mean that's got to be enough to sustain you for the two years that we were shuttered um and so while we're on the subject of of covid and sort of to to bookend this as a right now there's a a vaccination requirement which means that if Mm -hmm. you are a volunteer here whether you are on stage or you work backstage you have to be vaccinated that is a requirement so Mm -hmm. if you come to audition for a show um you have to have proof of vaccination and so Knowing that there is a COVID committee, is there any discussion right now about eliminating the vaccination requirement as we sort of move forward and understand that we, you know, we have to accept that COVID is a part of life and there's vaccines out there, mm-hmm. of course, and, and um, you know, uh, strains are becoming this and tolerance is becoming that. Is there any plan, whether it's now or in the distant future, to eliminate the vaccination requirement because obviously there are a lot of members here so some i shouldn't say a lot there are some members who mm-hmm. whether it's by personal choice or because of medical reasons they can't get vaccinated so what do we um i guess to answer that question for them is is there any plan for that to happen i i don't think so for the present time and the only reason because we are a, a business and we need to stay open and um, until the research, according to the committee, the research says that you recover quicker if you're vaccinated than if you have not been vaccinated. And so if you go down for five, six days is different than going down for three weeks. So I think um, that's where the, the struggle comes in for why vaccinations for, and, and that's, the you know, you can work in the shop, you can usher, you can be in the box office, you can do a whole lot of things at the theater guild and not be vaccinated. But if you're going to be in a play mm-hmm. where we require you to be here for three weekends, um, and that's how we make our money, um, replacing you for two of those weekends or three weekends because you, you got sick is, is a hardship. So I think that's the discussion is that the recovery time, uh, according to the committee is quicker if you've been vaccinated. So, um, but now we might release the crew from that, um, but I don't know if we're going to um, at this point. Yeah, the I mean the biggest thing is that the committee has looked at the data and research throughout this whole time and have rolled back protocols as we've learned, you know, more and recommendations have changed. So it's an ongoing conversation every time we meet about is there anything new that we need to look at that we need to discuss do we need to change things or are things moving forward as they are? So and it's I think always it's, a conversation. It's worth mentioning that this is not personal or no. political. No. And certainly for the, those of you out there who maybe have been involved here for whatever period of time and have been able to come back because you're not vaccinated, it's not a personal thing. It's not an attack. It's not, there's no partisan decision behind um, why you're not. It's just purely for the sake of the betterment of the theater as a whole and from the business recovery. decision. Yes, Just the recovery. Yep. Right, because... We um, have to... We don't make any money if we don't do a show. Right, but also from the standpoint of if you're not vaccinated and you do get um, COVID and 
you get really, really we, sick. We don't want people to get sick. Right. <laughs> that was wow. the, the huge thing the entire time we were closed is yeah. the, the health and safety. Um, and, and it's just been, it's, again, it's one of those things where we've, we've talked and we've tried to find the best solution to move forward. One of the questions we, I, I always have is, am I putting people at risk or are they putting themselves at risk? And what responsibility as a business do we have to keep our employees and our, you know, volunteer staff safe? You know, what is our responsibility compared to what is an individual's personal choice? And and different people have different opinions on mm-hmm. that. And it, it goes back and forth. But the the main factor is, is if we need you to perform for three weekends. And if you're sick, I can maybe lose you for one. But losing you for all three mm-hmm. is is a problem. So um, it, it's it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Mm-hmm. And has obviously, as there are people who aren't vaccinated who who aren't able to be involved. And there's probably I think it's safe to say there's more crew people that are um, that are on the side than people who are on in shows. Has it been harder to find crew for shows because of that sort of um, requirement, or are is it is it still pretty much status quo where we're finding the people that we need for backstage roles? I, I think overall we actually have seen an influx in volunteers since the pandemic. We have a lot of new faces backstage, sure. a lot of new faces who are now involved in almost um, every other production, it seems. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think it's difficult to find volunteers in general. And um, when you put restrictions on, on volunteers, um, we hate to say no to volunteers. It's yeah. just, you know, these people won't have busted their keisters for us for years and been members for 20 years, and I say you're not welcome here. And it's the thing that I hate the most about this position that we're in, that we disagree on this. Um, but I think Jocelyn's right. It, it's always so amazing that, you know, we think we lose somebody, you know, and myself included. You know, I go down, oh, Norm goes down, I'm up. I go down, somebody else is going to step up. And when our volunteers go down, somebody steps up. You know, Jocelyn's right. We've got a lot of new people that have found this place, and they're being involved. Um, but it, it does stop some volunteers mm-hmm. from participating. And um, I don't like that. But um, <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it. Well, I think, <laughs> I think conversely, also, there are people who – are vaccinated who have sort of stepped back from their involvement because they're uh, concerned about their older right. yeah. or they right. have health issues and, yeah. they're, Very much and so. they're concerned with being infirm. So, I th- you know, there's there's two sides to yep. that coin. Right. And I'm stuck with, here I am in the lobby with 200 people that I don't know. <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, first couple of shows I hid in my office or I wore a mask in the lobby mm-hmm. and because I, I didn't want to put myself at risk because I put the show at risk. And uh, we talk about that a lot at the Theater Guild with people going to rock concerts and going to football games. And I say, you know, you're going to be next to 40,000 of people that you don't know. And you're going to come back here and you could put the show at risk. Sure. And again, it's it's all about putting the show at risk. <laughs> what What is least likely to happen? But people have to live their lives. Mm-hmm. You, you can't for two months not go to church and not go to the grocery store because you're afraid that... Or go out to dinner go with to your dinner. family. Right. You know? So at some point, we're just going to have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is something that's been affected by COVID, but I want to bring it up anyway. 
um, the outreach program, mm. which has been a staple at the Theater Guild for decades. Um, and so can we talk a little bit about the outreach program and has COVID affected it? What's sort of the um, game plan moving forward and, and you know, some of the, the difficulties with with the outreach program, especially as it as it concerns COVID? So well, we shut down a couple of the performances as far as the number of performances that we have. Um, we normally did 12 outreach shows. Busing is becoming a nightmare for the schools, and um, money is becoming a nightmare for the schools. And um, I think everybody, you know, like we talked about at the last minute, people bought tickets uh, at the door. I think the schools are waiting to see how this all plays out before they go back to full-time uh, transport you know, transporting students back and forth. The the middle school outreach was um, on the the budget cutting table uh, before we even started this. And so they used COVID as a reason to be able to cut that program altogether. So um, we hope we can get it back. But it's, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm hoping in a couple of years we can get back to business as usual and go back to doing all those outreach shows because it's so vital to our to the theater to get young people involved in theater mm -hmm. at an early age and as i said many of those kids don't get to see theater unless Anywhere the schools else. take them mm -hmm. and it's our one shot to reach out to them and and to um you know i i still remember when i i saw oliver when i was a little kid little boy who liked theater and i saw this other little boy who was singing oliver and i still wow that was so cool i want to <laughs> be like him i want to do that and and so many of our, our people are role models for the younger kids, and we need to do that. So we got to figure that out. But right now, Unified is struggling with their own stuff, trying to find funds and trying to find teachers and then trying to find substitutes um, and then trying to deal with all the COVID procedures. So um, the last thing that they're really interested in doing is busing a bunch of kids. So I guess time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, it's, not, it's not DOA. No. Maybe it's a little bit on the ropes, but... Perhaps as things start to settle down and the schools start to see that maybe that this is okay, they'll mm -hmm. they'll open up to the idea more of of doing yeah. this more. And we, I mean, we still have the outreach program. Sure, so that's the important I think note here is that for uh, Little Mermaid, we as usual have opened it up to anyone can come, and those productions have filled. You know, um, the one caveat to that, of course, is that's usually a lot of parochial schools or schools that have extra funding so again the kids who don't have access to theater aren't getting that because the school district isn't paying for it necessarily which they have in the past for the sixth grade program so for anyone that's out there listening right now mm -hmm. that might be a teacher um, or works for a school district that might be interested in inquiring about how they get um, their school or their classroom to a outreach production here? What do they have to do in order to get that information? The best person to contact would be Terry, who is our business manager. She organizes all the schools coming and what days are open and how many seats are left. And uh, her email is terry, T-E-R-I, at Racine Theater, and that's theater with an R-E at the end, dot org. Or she, you can call the box office at 262-633-4218. And the... Uh, because Little Mermaid is an outreach program, that mm -hmm. is all filled now, right? Yes, that There's, is. You're not looking for any more? Um, Pretty much sold out. I think we've got a few extra, you know, less than 100 seats for most of the shows. Yeah, I think we had one school 
cut back their numbers or something Yeah, because like of yeah. busing, they couldn't get a bus. Uh, or they have to be back by 2 o'clock or the world uh, blows up. You know, this is the whole <laughs> thing with the busing. If you're not back at 2.01. Right. Right. Um, but Stand and Deliver is our spring outreach show. And in the past, that has been the sixth grade outreach show. Um, so that does, uh, we are also looking to fill those spots. So that's a really great show for middle school, high school level students, even colleges in the area, if they want to come on over and see a show. It'd be a great one. Um, and again, I know that uh, the outreach program is the heart of a lot of the things that we do here. And it's important to a lot of the volunteers here. It's important mm -hmm. to the staff here. And so, you know, we certainly don't want to see it wither and die here, no. but, um, you know, hopefully as we move forward and things sort of settle out, this will get better. And I know that, you know, teachers are struggling out there. Schools <laughs> are struggling to find teachers and, and staff. And it's been difficult since before COVID and hopefully that will, that will change here pretty soon. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, to your point, Doug, um, there's a lot of those kids who will never, ever have otherwise the opportunity to see live theater. Mm -hmm. um, I was 10 years old when a teacher at my grade school took me to see um, Mousetrap at UW-Whitewater. And it was the coolest thing, you know, for a 10-year-old kid. And that just fires your imagination. And then that's where I sort of got hooked with theater. And, and hopefully that's what happens with these kids. They start to see people that look like them on stage and they start to see things that they're interested in on stage and they start becoming involved here or in theater in general. And they have just more vivid imaginations and they become more theatrical. And, mm -hmm. and that's really the, 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 the point here is that it's just exposing kids to um, the arts and having their imagination, um, you know, um, enacted. So, um, the outreach program is very important here and, and, and I hope that it continues, um, mm -hmm. as we've been discussing. Um, is there a forbidden door with other theaters? Um, you know, it's, uh, obviously we're here at the Racine Theater Guild, mm -hmm. but there are other theaters in the area. And um, whether it's here in Racine or Kenosha or, or the Milwaukee area, is there sort of an unwritten sort of forbidden door that we don't talk with them? We don't, you know, um, we don't socialize with them. We don't help them out. We don't. Can we speak to that sort of uh, idea of, of our partnership with other I hope other that's theaters? not the perception because oh. we actually have well, very, very I, good relationships. And I just want to, mm -hmm. you know. For the people out there who maybe aren't theater involved, um, who maybe just know this theater or right. are aware there are other theaters, um, maybe want to know, is there, uh, what's the rapport, if any? Yeah. Well, I think, go, go back a long time ago, I was a um, company manager for uh, a dance company in Milwaukee when I first came back to town. And we were at a, a meeting, and I remember Sarah uh, Connor was the uh, managing director of the rep and we were in this meeting and she was so kind and gracious and answered questions and was helping every other theater and every other arts organization when she didn't have to and I, I remember that going if I ever got in a position like that I would like to be known for that and um, you know she you could email her and she'd answer a question for you. And, you know, and for a small arts organization, it was a small dance company, that was vital to see all the big boys, um, you know, not struggling for their market share or trying to put you down or make you go out of business. They thought a strong arts um, community made the community better and more 
theater made more people go to theater and more options and, and brought more actors to the community and more singers to the community. And so being the only uh, you know, show in town was not in the best interest of the Milwaukee rep. And, and I remember that 35 years ago. And um, so anytime another theater has asked for something, we've given it. And you know, mm-hmm. we open up our doors to high schools, churches, um, other theaters in town. You need to borrow this, great, um, no charge. You want some costumes, no charge. You want some props, no charge. There's some things we won't lend out. <laughs> Because they get damaged, you know, wireless microphones and some of our technology, we, we won't lend out. Uh, who to call to get this? You know, people ask about, um, you know, certain things. We've even, some theaters we've shared databases with and, um, you know, marketing information. And when we, we used to have Ruoff in town, Racine United Arts Fund, and we all got together and did joint uh, fundraising efforts and things like that. So I think there is a perception um, that... Um, you know, we don't like each other, or we compete, or, um, but, you know, I, I hope it doesn't come from me, because anytime another theater has asked for something, we've given it um, willingly. And specifically during the pandemic, um, the Wisconsin Arts Board um, organized community theater uh, meet and greet, I guess, via online, and then Doug himself connected very almost monthly, I think, with Sunset Playhouse mm-hmm. and Waukesha Civic Theater, which are um, up in the Milwaukee area that operate near the same kind of capacity that we do and talking about what their strategies were for reopening and what were their protocols going to be and, you know, that open conversation about what the heck are we all doing? Right. <laughs> so it's safe to say that sort of this idea that there's a forbidden door is kind of um, apropos it's drama. Um, it's sort of <laughs> drummed up um, idea that you know, that's them, this is us, and yeah. we don't play well with yeah. each other. And we, I mean, we them. even trade ads with a lot of people and sure. stuff like that. I think, you know, in all honesty, um, it's not all rosy and, and wonderful, and we all want to uh, sing Kumbaya <laughs> together. But the only irritation part comes in with, uh, for example, um, I'll just make something up, uh, two actors uh, that, you know, have roles in two different theaters. Well, they have a rehearsal conflict or they have, um, you know, uh, I really want to do this show in Milwaukee, so I won't try out for the show in Racine. Okay, well, that irritates me a little <laughs> bit, you know, and, and just to be honest about that. But it's not like I wish them to fail. But, you know, I don't know if I'm going to cast them anyway. Right. And um, there's no guaranteed roles here. So right. you, you, so it's not like I can precast the entire season. So an actor may wait all year to do uh, a show, and then I don't cast them. Or they may do a show at a different theater. So that's where the competition is because, you know, there's a limited amount of volunteers, <laughs> you know, then um, we all would like more volunteers. But there mm-hmm. isn't any uh, animosity between the organizations. It's just that, oh, what are you doing a show in Milwaukee for, you know, or Kenosha? <laughs> you know, uh, we, we got a show here, you know. Yeah. and Why are you playing in another kid's sandbox? <laughs> yeah, right. So, but with that, they often bring people with them back to the theater guild. Right. I worked with this person in Milwaukee, and, right. and now I'm introducing them to the theater. Or I worked with them in Kenosha, and they come up. And, and so it's a networking thing. So mm-hmm. even when our volunteers go other places, they're still networking, and then they come back, and they bring their experiences and their knowledge and their contacts. So it makes our organization stronger. Mm-hmm. And 
while we're on the subject of, you know, uh, so-and-so did a show in Milwaukee and they came back and they brought three of their friends that, that they got really, you know, they're really talented and they're really good at this and they really want a shot here. Um, you know, it's, it's 2022 and obviously the climate of temperament has changed and, um, opinions and um the way we see the world and the way we see each other and so um casting a show Mm -hmm. um because obviously you know there's a lot of conjecture and um you know uh uproar when uh straight actor plays gay part Mm -hmm. or um, non-Asian actor plays Asian part. Mm-hmm. Is that something that we're sort of looking out for here? Is that becoming more of an issue where, you know, um, because uh, theater in its very nature, there are a lot of members of the LGBTQ community that uh, inhabit theaters on stage and backstage. And so, you know, is there an issue that we're, you know, that a, a someone who isn't straight um, would play a gay role or vice versa? Or um, is that something that uh, is becoming an issue as we're, as we're sort of moving into the, the next year? I think the, the problem is, is that underrepresented people have been put down for so long that um, they haven't been given opportunities. And mm. so, you know, you know, people of color haven't been allowed to, to be in plays and there's not enough roles for people and women and, um, you know, we discriminate against who people love for, for various reasons. And so it becomes difficult, um, I imagine, I don't know, um, to see somebody who's not of that um, uh, race played by somebody else. And you so, you know, or, or a transgender person, you know, I've waited my whole life to play a role, mm-hmm. and now you give it to some movie star, and um, and I'm better than that. And um, I think that the thing we're struggling with in theater is how do we give people a fair shot? How do they feel like they've been given a fair shot? Um, I'm uncomfortable with asking people at auditions who they love. I hope I never get to a point where I have to ask somebody, um, are you gay or straight? Um, it's none of my business. Um, and they shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to write that on an audition form. Uh, and the same way with, um, you know, you know, are you 20% um, Hispanic, 50% Hispanic, you know, what counts? Are you Jewish? Um, or to be honest, are you male or female? Um, I look at you, you look like you could, play um you know uh, a young boy um i'm and you're a good actor i i'm gonna cast you um you know if you identify as a male or female you know these questions are becoming very Mm -hmm. complicated in the theater world with me sticking my nose in other people's business and it's all because they have not been treated fairly in the past and they haven't felt like they got a fair shot and so i think there's a overcorrection i think sometimes where we're trying to to right past wrongs, and um, I think we're all struggling with that. On what, um, how do we give people a fair shot? How do we represent uh, correctly? Mm-hmm. In the past, gay characters have been awful on stage. They've been flamboyant, hanky uh, caricatures, caricatures mm-hmm. of of people, and let's mock them and laugh at them. Okay, well, we're not going to do that anymore. <clears throat> you yeah. know, and we're long past 
painting people's faces a different <laughs> color. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, doing accents. Uh, can you do a, a, a Spanish accent? Can you do an Irish accent? Can you do a German accent? Um, if you're not of that persuasion. Um, and, and I think a lot of people's perceptions as to what people do look like, especially when it comes to, you know, race, because that's the easiest identifier on a, on a person is, mm -hmm. is a visual. So, you know, the Afro-Latina community, for instance, can be <laughs> X number of colors. Yes. I mean, it's an infinite pool. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And, and it, it's interesting too, because this is, the larger conversation of this is at the Broadway level. That is a, you know, that is the top, mm -hmm. usually what people see is the top tier theater, professional, star quality people. Um, we're a community theater. Yeah. How do we, not to say to ignore everything that's happening in that discussion, but how do we make that a reality in what we're producing in Racine, Wisconsin, <laughs> you well, know, that's, today. That's a really good point because in Broadway, you should be able to find um, a, a one-legged uh, <laughs> Jewish uh, person who's six foot five. I mean, you should be able to find whatever type you want. There are thousands of, and the fact that you you really can't find a transgender person to play that role. Well, you didn't look very hard if you're in New York City. Yeah. Now, if you're in... Um, you know, Superior, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, the the casting pool is smaller. Um, and then the question comes in: Is do you not do plays? Do you not tell the story? That's a really good story. If you can't find that exact type, mm -hmm. you know, we did um, visiting Mr. Green many years ago, um, and um, Mike Kishline played a gay character, and he's married uh, to a woman and has two kids. Um, and this was before all this controversy happened with, you know, you know, you have to ask people if they're gay or not. And it's a wonderful story about love and acceptance and uh, trying to get along and, and knowing each other. And it'd be a shame if we didn't do that because it tells, it does what it's supposed to do. And um, I didn't, Norm directed it, but um, I'm sure he didn't ask people if they were gay when they auditioned. So, you know... Um, but then you have people that do Lombardi, and they don't cast a black guy as David Robinson. Now you can't do that. No, that you can't do. <laughs> you can't, you know. So, so it's a it's or paint his face. No, paint his face. No. You know, it's just like, come on, people. You know, you just put it. It is twenty twenty two. You know. Well, but I guess to some degree, you know, we're theater is acting, right, and movies, right, and we're suspending, right, you know, disbelief of reality, right. So, is it really? A bad thing that a gay person is playing a straight character. Is it really a bad thing that a straight person is playing a gay character? Especially because it's about the intention, right? Mm -hmm. If you're sticking to the source material, sure. Now, if you've got a hundred gay men who show up to, to audition for a role and you have one person who's straight and you cast the straight person, that might be an issue, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because you've got everything that you hope you're looking for in one of those 100 guys. Um, but, you know, does that mean that we have to shut down an entire production because we don't have a gay person um, that is uh, actually um, of the community right. in order to play the role? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Now, obviously, you know, uh, we've seen awful, awful examples mm -hmm. in history. And we talk about movies like... Uh, John Wayne should have never ever played <laughs> Genghis Khan. 
Um, well, your, your runner played, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. the king and I, yes. yeah, and, you know, for played. a very, very long time. Yes, he did. I, you know, I asked uh, when we did Laramie Project. I asked um, Barb at the LGBT Center about that specifically. I said, "Do you think I have to cast um, uh, only gay people in in gay roles?" And she looked at me and said, "No, you should cast who you think is best." And um, the the thing that I, I learned about that, you know, when you do theater and you've done theater and um, been around theater, you learn by doing, right? When when you're playing um, a German guy, you learn about German culture and you learn, you know, we did a couple Jewish plays here and we had the, um, the rabbi come in and he taught us about uh, the Seder dinner and we learned about them and learned about the struggles people had. And the actors learn uh, about the characters and about the struggles and... Um, and you relate to those things. And so, um, you know, we had, um, you know, some high-profile prof- people. J- Jane Matinair, who was a big radio lady, she played a gay character, and she was proud to play a gay character. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with playing a gay character. I'm, I'm proud to play that role. I'm a straight person, but, you know. And I think that when, when people in leadership, when, when well-known people, when stars are willing to, uh, I mean, it's like being an advocate, isn't it? I'm we're not as long as we're not mocking and we're not making fun of or exploiting that's always a, a problem mm-hmm. but if you are advocating I, i'm i'm proud to play a gay character why wouldn't i it's a great role um so it goes back and forth i think um you know we we like to categorize people and put them in boxes and and you have to play this and you have to play that and you you know we used to call it stereotyping so only this person can play that role, and only this person can play that role. And I think as actors, you want to play as many roles as you can and, and as many roles that are different from you because that's – who wants to play a 60-year-old uh, white guy from Racine his whole life? You know, that's the only character I get to play my whole life. Well, that's not as much fun. So it's uh, it's something we're talking about. I think it's a great conversation. I think – we need to keep having those conversations and questioning, mm-hmm. well, why not? Right. You know, why don't we do this or why well, and not? It's, and it's just, it's going back to, we've seen this re-engagement from volunteers and we've seen people bringing people into the theater. And theater in its tradition is an old white person avenue. That's how theater was built. Um, but the city of Racine is a very diverse city and we want to see more people involved here that represent our city that that feel like that they have um space here to be a part of the productions so whether that's looking at um what the actual cast of the show is or what the cast can be um from the pool of auditionees and things like that i think that's a again always a thing to look at and that's a very good um segue into my next question because as a person of color there is a lack of people of color in theater. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure anyone knows the real answer as to why that exists, because I think it's a very complex sort of different ball of reasons that it might exist. But maybe for a moment we can sort of speak to how is it that we can change um, this lack of of people of color in mm-hmm. theater? And what are we doing to sort of... Um, get in the forefront of offering um, that 
I, uh, offering the avenues for people to come here and express themselves and to grow. Right. I think, again, theater was built as a very exclusive, um, financially, <laughs> uh, it, it was very rich, white, old people. I mean, that's how it was built. And so for a very, very long time, people could not enter it unless they fit into all three of those categories. Um, and you would think we were further out from that spot, but, but we aren't. Um, you know, the thing here is we, we say we are, it's open auditions. You can come, but there's a lot of questions as to how do I get involved? What does that mean? What kind of time commitment is that? I'm working two jobs. Can I even, even consider, you know, going to do a show? Um, that, I mean, that's generally for everyone, not only people of color. Um, it, I think it's about, again, creating really good, we're, we're working on building community relationships big time, especially in this post-pandemic world. There's a couple of really great new organizations in town mm -hmm. um, that we've been able to connect with, one of them being uh, the Black Arts Council here in Racine. Um, and as we look at, uh, on the play reading committee, looking at what, what plays are there. But I don't know if you've had anything in your experience, Doug, that you've tried haven't tried well I, I think the problem is a, it's a whole it's a lot of things you know good plays should be universal and speak to everybody no matter on their their background but financially is a an issue uh, i don't have 200 dollars to spend on a broadway show and um i have um you know and i'm in theater and i am an interest in theater you try to get a new person that is not interested in theater hasn't grown up with theater to spend 200 dollars to go see a show um Unfortunately, um, and I'm just, I, I don't know if this is true, but my perception is that the wealth is more middle-class white people and, and above, and they have more, dis more disposable income um, than uh, people of color. I think there's a lot of reasons why my wife and I will talk about why people haven't succeeded, you know, and some, you know, the racism that, you know, brings people down and doesn't let them rise uh and that's changing slowly but we've got 200 years of a head start you know on on making money and uh disposable income is a is a huge thing and um i think the the other issue is to encourage people of color to write plays to write their stories mm -hmm. to write sto like look at hamilton oh my god what a great play you know and unfortunately a lot of um minority playwrights um, write dramas that um, are very hard-hitting um, and very personal. And um, while true, people don't necessarily want to see, uh, you know, it's like their version of Death of a Salesman. You, you know, it, it, it's hard-hitting, and um, they're powerful. And, um, you know, what do we get around here? I just want to laugh. I just want to be, you know, I want to hear fun music. All right, so let's write some musicals, um, and uh, let's write some plays. And, and I think... We need to encourage young uh, people of color to write plays and to write music and, and write songs. And, and um, because, you know, that, that thing, Nord, you said, seeing people like you, telling uh, stories that people relate to, that they can experience. And when I saw that little Oliver up there, I wanted to be him. And I think everybody does that. But I, I think a lot of the minority community gets that through sports. And uh, sports has been very successful in recruiting and highlighting um, uh, 
people. You know, everybody wants to be in sports. Everybody wants to be in football. Sure. Everybody wants to do that. Okay, well, how come there's not 200 kids trying out for the play when there's 200 mm-hmm. kids trying out for the basketball team? Because that's what their interest is right. in. So, and, and it's a, back to the accessibility thing, you know. Right. It's, it, that's why the outreach program is so important here because the, the city of Racine is ranked as in the top cities of, of racism problems, and part of that has to do with the way the city is divided. And s- students in certain sectors go to certain schools that don't, because the programs now have been cut in RUSD, mm. don't get access to the theaters. And theater and arts are the first things that are yeah. cut budget-wise. Always. Always. Yeah. I also think that people, you know, and you can cut this out of your podcast if you want, because it's it's not very helpful when I say this. But, you know, I told my kids, you can do anything you want but theater. <laughs> you know, that's what I told them, you know, because... You're going to be unemployed in Greenland, you know, and um, to, to quote Princess Bride, there's no money in it. Very few people succeed in it. It's a lot of work. And go into business. Go be a doctor. Go be a teacher. Um, and so I don't even encourage my own kids to, to do it. And here we're supposed to, t- you know, and then other families who don't have resources, well, you, you need to go do theater. Well, why? You should, you know, be a scientist. You should go be a doctor. Uh, so there's a lot of struggles there with people and trying to push their kids to, with a limited amount of time and resources, to succeed. And well, there are, I mean, we'll take football as an example. How many professional football players have said, I will never let my kids play football? Right. right. Because, because of the concussions and, right. and the lifestyle and the injuries and the sacrifices that you have to make. So it's not an unusual thing. Right. right? And, yeah. you know, even my own father told me, you know, when I said, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get a musical theater degree, he said, that's great, but you should consider just going to school and, and learning a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you do whatever you want to do, but, you know, it was all about practicality. Right. And, and so... It's making a living and, right, and right. getting a house. Which right. is why community theater, in the end, does exist. Sure. Because you should all get jobs in other things <laughs> and then come to the theater guild. <laughs> That's a perfect marketing yeah, thing. Right. That's what we're and, and we could talk for hours oh, about gosh, yes. the disparity of of the lack of people of color or um, the plight of the LGBTQ mm. community in theater and, and other places. But I think I'll say this, that there doesn't necessarily have to be a story about minorities mm. that draws people out because a good story is a good story, right? Right. So, right. 100%. You know, right. If, if uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, of a black actor. If Eddie Murphy wants to be um, Billy Bigelow in Carousel, mm-hmm. why couldn't he be mm-hmm. if he did theater? Mm-hmm. Um, that That obviously that show is very, very old and whatever you want to call it, but like, if someone is good in a role, it shouldn't matter what color they are. And I and and you know, again, we could talk for a long time about this, but I think that a, a good story is a good story. But there still is a lack of mm-hmm. people of color in in community theater specifically, but also in theater in general. Mm-hmm. And and we can touch on this at at some point later on down the on, down the line. But um, um, I just wanted to at least uh, converse about it a little bit mm-hmm. um, in this conversation. Um, and as we begin to wrap up here, because I know that we're, we've been talking for um, quite some time, um, and this is good conversation, and, and I think that it's, it's great to, to sort of draw the curtain back and, and talk to the people who are here every day. Um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about is um, the volunteers, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this organization, again, I said before, lives and dies on the volunteers. So if you guys want to talk about the volunteers briefly um, and what they mean to this organization and to you professionally and personally, please do so. <laughs> um, coming in as a complete, uh, I had no clue what this organization was or what it was capable of. Um, <laughs> one of the very first people I met here at the theater was Marge Henze. <laughs> and if you know anything about uh, who Marge was, she was very, um, very strong-nosed, uh, strong-willed. Um, old school. Old school, no-nonsense woman. And I met her during a um, children's theater outreach performance, actually. <laughs> and, and she just was so excited for me to be here and so just thrilled to be here and be able to do what she could do because at that point of her life she was much older than when she you know was first here and working on props and everything she was just ushering for the show and she was so happy to be doing it and that seems to be the constant here is that as much it's not always roses (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not always sunshine and rainbows but uh People are here because they want to be here and they're going to give what they want to get, um, I think, from things here too. And it is a family, so we fight. We don't agree on everything, but we also come together and make it all work. So that's um, that's just, and I get to promote it. I get, my entire job is showing off people's dedication to this place, which is really kind of cool. And how much of the promotion is predicated on like the people involved here are so proud of being involved here right. and the show that they work and on they share it. that they're the ones on right. social media saying, come see the show. Mm-hmm. And they're bringing in dro- droves of people. Come see the show. Come see what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug. Uh, I, I mean, I think people misunderstand what community theater means. I think they think, well, we can't afford uh, to be a professional theater. So we're going to uh, use volunteers. Um, and that's not true. We're, we don't want to be a professional theater. That's not mm-hmm. our mission. Our mission is to change the lives of people in this area. And our job is to do that with the volunteers through theater. It's just like a, a you know, community outreach. Our job is to give people experiences and to change their life. It's not necessarily because we can't afford to pay people. And that's why we do community theater. It's a very different process. Our, our mission is to... Uh, use volunteers to train volunteers to give them lifelong experiences and you know as I said the plays come and go you know the mm-hmm. I, I I'm getting close to a hundred plays I've directed here but I I don't remember that I remember the people I remember the experiences I, I get to see their kids grow up I get to see them get married and um and uh, have relationships and and be a part of people's lives and that's a community theater professional theater you know, people go from job to job, uh, place to place, uh, change plays, change directors. It's all about me and my career and making money. And that's not what the Theater Guild is. The Theater mm-hmm. Guild is about a community of people and making uh, lifelong memories. And, and for the audience, too. These mm-hmm. people have been coming for 40 years. It's crazy. And they feel part of the family. And so it's uh, – I, I really just – it really bugs me because people think, uh, oh, well, you know, these are – uh, you know, unpaid, untrained people. You know, we have people with MFAs here. We have people with professional experience that just want to be part of the team. And um, 
And some of us get paid, thank goodness for that, and some people don't. Um, but they're here for all the right reasons. They're not here because you're, they're using it as a stepping stone to go to another theater or to go to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's very humbling and to see the amount of time and effort volunteers do uh, for all the reasons they do. And um, it's, it's a great place to be. And certainly as someone who's been here for most of my adult life going on 18 years, um, I can attest to all of that. It's, um, it's a place like no other. Uh, the, the friendships you make and the bonds that you make and seeing people's, uh, you know, kids grow up and now they're adults and they're in shows and, and uh, people meet uh, backstage and then they're married and, yeah, it's just... And then they're divorced and, <laughs> yeah. and then they marry somebody else. Um, Matchmaking 101. <laughs> well, we could do a show about showmances, yeah. but uh, that's for another time. Um, and so I guess uh, what's next for the Theater Guild? What's, um, what's the next show and what's the next audition? What's Just keep swimming. Yeah. Just keep right. swimming. Uh, so we're currently in the middle of Drop Dead, which runs through November 13th here. It's a murder mystery comedy farcical play within a play it is everything you can imagine going wrong on stage in all the right ways um, and then on november 7th and 8th we have perfect wedding auditions here at the theater at some p.m so those are roles for women and men mostly in their 20s 30s but there is also a uh, older woman as well and then uh, a very merry guild christmas has auditions on wednesday November 9th at 6.30 starting here. So people can sign up to audition for that. And then in December, well, actually November, mid-November 18th through the 20th, we have Annie Jr. where we're collaborating with Gilmer Fine Arts is actually coming to perform that. And we're bringing Don Reed into town for Comedy Tonight on the 19th of November. And then Little Mermaid opens December 9th and runs through the 18th here. And you might hear a familiar voice on stage named... (laughs) Good, good grief how 2022 just it's almost over yeah i i mean it's november 1st yeah it's crazy um, but in general the the this season is our first season at full capacity since well technically our 2018 2019 season because we didn't finish out our 2019 2020 so it's we still we've got our jeans jazz coming back we've got signature spotlight concerts Children's Theater, Comedy Tonight, and our main stage, and classes. So for any of the auditioning mm-hmm. uh, things, do they, specifically for uh, Perfect Wedding, do they need to call and sign up for an audition slot, or can they just show up and... Perfect Wedding is just a show up at 7 p.m. on either of those days, and it's a cold reading of the script. We always have scripts available to check out beforehand, which Doug always recommends that people read the play before they audition. It helps you a lot. Um, so, yeah, you can just show up on either one of those days. And as a reminder, if you do want to audition for a show or the Spotlight Concert Series or be involved in the crew, um, but specifically for Perfect Wedding, mm-hmm. uh, bring proof of vaccination. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who is... Um, uh, checking people in uh, will ask for your proof of vaccination um, before you can audition. If you do have any questions or concerns as far as um, auditions or tickets, um, what information do they need? Phone number, website? Best place to go is racinetheater.org 
Or, of course, you can call here at the box office, 262-633-4218. Or if you want to stop in, you've never been here before. It's been 20 years since you've been here. Uh, box office is open Monday through Friday, 12 to 6 p.m. Happy to give you a tour, show you around, answer questions you have. We're here. Um, my thanks again to Jocelyn Fish and Doug Incinez for this um, very in-depth chat about the Racine Theatre Guild and their experiences here and um, just a great conversation, which hopefully um, will make the Theatre Guild regular guests on the uh, program in terms of the shows that they've got and interviewing uh, cast members and crew members and directors and that sort of thing. So uh, be on the lookout for that. So uh, my thanks again to Jocelyn and Doug for uh, joining me this evening for this chat. Um, is there anything else you guys want to uh, impart before we close up shop here? Theater will change your life. <laughs> <laughs> send us your send us your talented children and send us your money. Oh boy. <laughs> um, well, just one more thing. Support local theater. Every play deals with the basic aspects of our lives that we're constantly trying to understand. And going to a play can help us relax, have fun, be shocked, become upset, or ponder serious issues. Theater holds up a mirror to society, and watching a play gives us the opportunity to be able to be our, see ourselves. There really is nothing like the shared experience of human beings in an audience spontaneously reacting to a live production. So come see shows. Come be involved. Audition. Um, we're looking for talented people to be on stage. We're looking for talented people to be backstage. Um, and that's just community theater in general. You know, we talked about the Forbidden Doors before. Just be involved. We um, Community theater thrives on your involvement. So um, come to the Theater Guild. It's a wonderful place. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>